This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time. Time for Silver and Black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. It is Thursday, Raider Nation. It is time for your third edition of Silver and Black today, this week, an Odyssey original podcast. We're here to talk Raiders football with you. Thanks for being with us. Lots to get to. And as always, bring in my broadcast partner, my good friend, the man of the hour, every hour of the day from what he tells me. It is Mr. Mo Moten. He is the national NFL writer for Bleacher Report. Also, NFL slash Raiders columnist up on sportsnot.com. Mo, we got a little bit of things to talk about here. We had some great, great news. We have some Raider fans who still can't let go of negativity, and we'll talk about that later. But lots to get to here in this show on this Thursday. Wednesday was a whirlwind of information for us in Raider Nation. Yeah, some surprising news coming out Wednesday. Some uh, actually surprising news coming out Tuesday and good news coming Wednesday. Mm. So this show is going to be a very positive show because that's <laughs> what it should be with what will ha- what happen Wednesday afternoon. What do you know? It's about Team Mo. <laughs> All those shows I mean, you weren't I, here during the summer, you should have been there. Yeah, I should have been there for my teammate. I, I apologize for not being a team player and being so selfish. I was holding out oh. for a new contract from Odyssey before I returned. Thankfully, I worked it out with Odyssey, and I was able to return with a new contract. Yes, I had a little bit of a hamstring injury, elbow injury, but I'm okay now. Yes, and uh, we're trying to attempt to keep Mo away from any WNBA players that he might date so that he doesn't miss the show. <laughs> Um, we're, we're trying to do that. He's got his eye on a few there in New York with the Liberty. So we're trying to just, you know, keep them, keep them inside. It's, it's, it's hard to do sometimes, but we're trying to do it. All right, Mo, we'll get to that in a little bit, but first want to start off with, uh, uh, news from yesterday. We'll start with the good news. Well, I, good news. Yes. Uh, the, the other news around the cuts and the roster moves is not necessarily bad news, but we'll get to that. And I mean, it's bad news for those guys, not for us or the Raiders, but let's talk about, Back at practice, Mr. AWOL himself, as he's been dubbed by some, Mr. I am selfish. And of course, I'm saying this facetiously, folks. I don't actually believe that. If you know, if you watch the show, you know that. 
Darren Waller back at practice. Trayvon Mullen off the pup list. Rocky Sin, Jonathan Hankins, all off the pup list. Bilal Nichols off the pup list. Mo, this team got a little dose of health after its first preseason game where we saw its weaknesses on the defensive front. We saw some of the weaknesses on the back end, too. Now all those guys, they jog out to practice on Wednesday. They're going to be ready, hopefully, to see some time on Saturday against the Dolphins. Yes, in addition to Darren Wallace, several defensive players back, several defensive starters back. I remember ending the show Tuesday saying, or Wednesday saying that, hey, you know, hopefully the Raiders get healthy. Hopefully the Raiders stay healthy and they get players back before the preseason game against the Dolphins. And lo and behold, a bunch of players come back. Of course, there's less than a week before players have to come off the pup list before they have to stay on it for four weeks into the regular season. So it's a good sign to get a lot of guys back and get them on the practice field. Uh, Tashawn Reed, the athletic, also said that Darren Wall looked like himself again. So that's a great sign that he's not showing any lingering issues from his hamstring injury. That is very good. And clearly he did not lose his focus watching women's basketball. Okay, sorry. Um, so we're back. <laughs> Trayvon Mullen also, Mo, is back. Sorry, I told you I was full of piss and vinegar today. Um, Trayvon Mullen uh, is back. We talked about that on, on Tuesday's show, not the mailbag show, but on Tuesday's show about the defensive backs, about the cornerbacks in particular that we wanted to see right. them out there, that they needed to get out there. Trayvon Mullen injury. By the way, Trayvon Mullen, for those of you who don't know, he's not injury prone. He had an injury last year. Previous to that, he didn't have any issues with injury. So I don't know where that narrative is coming from, but it's there. I just want to correct that. But having those guys out there with Patrick Graham's defense, being able to rove that back uh, back end and being able to get into shape. I mean, these guys, I don't anticipate them if they do play Mo, which I, I anticipate, I should say, they will play in my view. I don't know why you wouldn't play them unless they're just so far behind um, uh, from being on the list. But, but I think getting them out there at least – for a series would be good just to get back into game speed. Yeah, kind of like how we saw Merrick and Abram play last week. Get them out there for a series or two just to get them acclimated to the speed of an actual game setting wouldn't hurt them. I do still want to see my guy Anthony Averett back, but again, it's mm -hmm. good news that you're, to me, your cornerback one in Trayvon Mullen, who had foot surgery in March, is back, or May is back. And, I, you know, a lot of people say he's battling for a starting role. I, I think he's basically the best cornerback on the roster. And you're correct. That's recency bias. Anyone who says that Trayvon, um, Trayvon Mullen is injury prone is just basically focusing on what happened last year. Because, as you say, he didn't miss a game his first two seasons. And he led the Raiders in pass breakups in, in his first two seasons. So, as long as he's fully back from his uh, foot surgery, he's going to be fine as a CB1. It's a CB2 spot that I'm worried about. Not worried about, but I want to see. Rocky Asin, is he the guy because he has some ups and downs in Indianapolis? Is Anthony Avery going to be back to challenge him? We'll see as the week goes on, but that's the spot I'm looking at in the secondary. And if we look at also on that interior, Jonathan Hankins is back, good solid rotational player for the Raiders. Uh, and, of course, there was cuts on Tuesday as well. In those cuts, we'll get to the surprise in a second, but not surprising, Vernon Butler – uh, and Nate Brooks on the inside, i.e. clearly Jonathan Hankins and Bilal Nichols were coming off the pup list, so the Raiders had extra bodies there. And had they not come off the pup list, they might have kept, I think, Butler at the very least just because he's a veteran. Uh, Jerry Green on the outside let go. Not impressive. 
in, in most of the time that he had with the Raiders. And I think Malcolm Kuntz and his performance kind of tied that up a little bit. And so he was definitely expendable. Also, Tyrone Wheatley on the offensive tackle side of it. Uh, that, to me, was a favor uh, for him to get in and get some looks uh, from other teams. Uh, he was brought into camp, of course, because of the connection there with his father. But nonetheless, no surprise there, Mo. The big surprise, Demarcus Robinson. I'm not surprised that the Raiders cut him. I'm surprised when they cut him. But I think that is a clear indication that this coaching staff, and Josh McDaniels in particular, are happy with the way the other wide receivers like Tyron Johnson um, like Doss, like DJ Turner, especially in this last game, I think he's happy with how they're progressing through camp. You make a good point. It's not about that, the fact they cut him, it's when, because you don't think there are other guys who could have probably got cut before Demarcus Robinson. I think so. I can name a few yeah. off the top of my head. Won't do that because I don't <laughs> want to be. Remember, this is a positive show. I'm keeping it positive today. But oh boy. I, I, someone on Twitter mentioned this, and it's a good point. I think the Raiders let him go so that. As a veteran, he's able to catch on somewhere else well before yeah. the season, maybe get a spot somewhere else. So I think they did him a favor by letting him go and saying, look, you're well behind uh, Matt Collins. You're well behind Keelan Cole. DJ Turner uh, looked good in that last preseason game. Let's let's let this guy go and let him catch on so elsewhere. But it's, it's going to be very interesting because the Rays have another round of cuts next week, and we'll see how that looks once, once they cut it down to, I believe, 80 players. But I think that preseason game is going to be very important for especially players in the running back room. Again, mm -hmm. the wide receiver position is still – there's still a clump of guys there battling for positions. Will the Raiders keep five or six wide receivers? I think the next preseason game will help them decide that. Yeah, and we talked about that earlier in the week too. And, and I think with this situation, again, as we mentioned this week already, it is – it's tough, right? You, you have good players that are performing well overall – and, and you can't keep them all. And so so you're going to have to do uh, those tough cuts, especially starting this week after the Miami game. Uh, but we talked about Malcolm Kuntz on Tuesday. Uh, he certainly has made the impression there, and I think uh, if not locked up, he's pretty dang close to it, uh, having that third spot on the outside. On the inside, though, still looking for answers. And, and I think that um, you're going to have to get, as long as they're fully healthy and given the the red, uh, the green light, Mo, for um, for Saturday's game against Miami. You're going to have to get Bilal Nichols and Jonathan Hankins some some time. They need to get into game shape. Uh, you don't want them to get out there and get hurt again, but you also need to test and make sure they're ready because at this point, th there's been no roster moves yet. Now, after the next round of cuts, I can see the Raiders probably making some signings because then that's when you start to see uh, pretty good players sometimes get cut depending on their situation. They're going to have to figure out what they're doing on that inside of the defensive line, and those guys are going to have to show what they're able to do and where they're at. Yeah, me being Mr. Positivity again, uh, there are reports out there that Bilal Nichols actually looked good in one-on-one, so that's a good sign. Yeah. We already know what Jonathan Hankins can do, but as you said, you want to get those guys out there and just get them, again, get them acclimated to the speed of the game. Tunga Vailoa Mosa, I think they're going to take the – close look at him in this next preseason game because he actually played pretty well last week. I didn't have him in my stock up report on sports night, but he mm -hmm. had a pretty good game. I think he could maybe get a practice spot if he plays well, but the defensive line, as you said, in, in, in the last show, basically in the trenches, both sides of the trenches, defensive yeah. line, offensive line, we still need answers there. It's just still not clear there who, who are going to be some of the starters and rotational players. So I'm still looking at the trenches when the Raiders play the Dolphins on Saturday. Well, we played a clip on Tuesday from Coach McDaniels where he talked about the depth 
at offensive tackle, and, and you mentioned it's semantics. Yes, you have depth. That doesn't mean you have a quality starter. That depth was hurt. We don't know finally uh, uh, its day-to-day situation, but uh, Munford Jr. was injured, taken off the field on Wednesday at practice yesterday, and so we don't know what that means. So you might see the Raiders get active again on the waiver wire, depending on what's out there. Also, the Jags cut. We talk about the defensive line. Uh, they cut Malcolm Brown. Uh, you mentioned this on Twitter uh, this morning, or I should say Wednesday morning, saying, hey, this guy, eight seasons, going into his eighth season, seven-year veteran, played with the Patriots, uh, played under Graham, who was a linebacker coach at that time. So they're familiar with him. That might be a guy where if they get these, if they get Nichols and Hankins out there and they feel like, boy, you know, we need to get somebody who's in a little more game ready, they might end up uh, looking that way. Tell us a little bit about him. And, and because of his history with the Patriots, you would think that it might be a natural fit because uh, the, the front office would be comfortable with him. Really quick, though, you know what burns my biscuits about people oh. when they comment? on on cuts i know I w- this is a positive show but there's something yeah. that bothers me every time there are cuts and you suggest maybe the Rays may be interested in a specific player and go and a person will say well if that team cut him why would the raiders want him he's a bum right oh, yeah. and i always say you don't know why the team cut the player it could Correct. be a cap situation because as i noted on twitter uh the jaguars were able to save three million by cutting malcolm brown who knows? Maybe he asked for his release because that's a new regime coming in there in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Maybe he felt like he didn't fit and that he would he could catch on somewhere else. So there are, there are a litany of reasons why a team cuts a player is not always be basically based on performance, solely based on performance. So I would, if I'm the Raiders, I would take a look at Malcolm Brown simply because he can fill a spot in that rotation defensive line because a lot of Raiders fans are concerned about the depth there, the rotation there, and I think Malcolm Brown could fill a spot. As you mentioned, he played with the New England Patriots. He played with the New Orleans Saints. He played with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, all seven seasons played between 42 and 62% of the snaps. He's basically been a starter his whole career. Still only 28 yep. years old. So it's not like he's over the hill. Um, still basically the end, end portion of his prime. So I think you bring him in if you're interested in him and, and just plug him in. And he doesn't need a lot of reps. He, again, he's a veteran of seven going into his eighth season. So he doesn't need a lot of ramp up time. You could just plug him in and he can get some snaps, some meaningful snaps there and help your run defense. Let's hear it from Moe's Burning Biscuits. Yes. All right. There you go. Yes. Okay. So, no, and I agree with you. I think that's – and we're going to get into it when we talk a little bit um, about the Waller stuff. Let's just do that right now. We got through that, but but the Raiders clearly – they're players – get cut for all sorts of reasons, like you said, Mo. And sometimes it's it's salary cap. Sometimes it's the player saying, hey, you know, it's not working for me here. Doesn't mean that they didn't right. play well. It's just like, this isn't a good situation. The team says, yeah, you know what? You're not kind of fitting in. Um, who hasn't had a job that they started and they said, you know, it's not just, it's just not the place for me. It's just not, everybody's good people. They do good work and all that, but it's not the right culture for me. That happens. And, and you'd give it to a veteran, especially they get the opportunity to get cut early, just like, the Raiders cut to Marcus Robinson early. It's the same kind of courtesy. It's a professionalism thing. And to think that players that get cut early are all bad is terrible because we could go through hundreds of examples, including dozens of Raiders who were early cuts who went on to have good careers. So so I need that. But with the Darren Waller thing, this gets into your point about the negativity. And I just want to address it because what is wrong with some of you? What is wrong with the fact that you feel that you're a better judge of what a good teammate is or a guy's dedication to the NFL and to the Raiders 
than his teammates, his coach, and his owner. Mo, I don't understand. People make these judgments, and, I, and I've, I've avoided it because a lot of these are good folks who, who disagree with us on this. But what I want to say is, what about in your what what in your life is 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 making you just so overly negative about the situation? This is one of the great stories in the NFL in the last five years. This guy getting sober and performing like he's performed. So I don't understand what this addiction to toxicity, negativity, and the desire to always have always have negative drama it's not normal it's not healthy and to me it's not being a good fan you know what's odd about this is that a lot of people say the media does this and the media does to a certain extent sure they build a guy up to tear him down i believe that's what's happening here at darren waller you just mentioned he's a great story what he's gone through to make a comeback in the nfl revive his nfl career and it seems as though there are not I would say the majority is positive, but there's a, yes. and I don't want to spend too much time on the negative, but there's a small pocket of fans that seem like they just want to tear him down ever since. And I got this vibe last year when mm-hmm. he had the IT band injury. I believe it was his knee and back combined. And he missed a lot of games. He missed several games at the end of last year. And people thought he was milking his injury then. And I, I try to stay away from telling people how a player's injury, how severe or significant their injuries, because I'm not in their body. I don't know what they feel. So I'm not going to try to tell other fans or other people what's in the player's heart as far as their integrity to the team and how they feel on an injury. I just stay away from those things because you have no idea what's going on with, with a player. But again, I think it's just he, he's been built up to be this great story, and now people are trying to poke holes and tear him down. And, and if you remember, Mo, on the show uh, when we were on the radio in Southern California last year, I said, like, I was like, hey, Darren Waller, if he gets healthy um, and and they can't sign him, then, hey, you, you might even trade him. He would have great value, right? So I never said that, though, because I didn't like the player. I didn't think he could contribute significantly to the Raiders. That was more of a business-type mentality. But you're right with this one, this negativity I don't understand it. And I feel like saying to these folks, all right, come on the show and tell us about where you work. Tell us about who you supervise or who you work with. And can I bring your coworker on and see if you're a good team player? Because, look, look, fans have every right to bitch and complain about whatever they want. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you you can't do it. I'm just saying it's surprising to me that it's this guy and it's over a basketball game. I think it's a lot of the desire for him to get back on the field. They want him back on the field because they're fans and they know how dang good he is. So, so I get that piece of it, but it's time to move on. We're going to move on now on the show because I'm tired of bitching about it. But the people arguing back and forth with me on it, I just you have no validity to your point. No one is angry at the guy except for angry people, and angry people are just angry people. So. We'll leave it at that. Scott, really quick. I want to break up one point, though, because uh, I want to shout this person on Twitter. World Dictator brought up this point, and he said, you don't think there's an organizational alignment for Raiders players to support the Las Vegas Aces? And you could probably speak to this more than me. They're trying to build a sports culture out there in Las Vegas. So mm-hmm. with the Aces being, I believe, the number one seed in the, w- in, you know, in the WNBA, there's a support system there. And I'm sure Mark Davis, being owner of that team, plays into that. 
you know, if you if you can support the Aces sure. where when you can because they're trying to again they're trying to build a sports culture in Vegas. So it goes right. both ways, and I'm sure the Aces are going to support the Raiders and, and the Knights as well. So there's a lot brewing out there in Vegas, and it makes sense. Sure, you support your city. I mean, to me, to me, um, I always say it. I mean, listen, the, the players in the WNBA, amazing athletes, amazing athletes. I think the product. I don't like it. I don't watch it, and most people don't watch it. I don't care what people say. You can have 10,000 people in the arena, but in Las Vegas, it's 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 very much beloved. It's doing really well there. They had 10,000 people the other night, and so that bucks the trend in the WNBA. So it is a big deal for the people in Vegas. It's a big deal for Mark Davis because he owns them. And I, the other thing, Mo, do people realize that Mark Davis was sitting courtside at the WNBA game? Do they? No one's it, mentioned context. it. And this is this is really quick. This is the point about context matters. There are some people who just have a certain viewpoint of what Darren Waller, Darren Waller, is skipping out in the preseason game, and they're just going to stick to that viewpoint, regardless of what other facts are out there, regardless of the context. But the fact that Raiders players have been supporting the Aces, mm-hmm. Mark Davis owns the team, people, and he that Waller got approval from the team. Josh McDaniels is not making a big deal of it. People are just ignoring all of those factors and saying, no, I, I feel like Waller's wrong for doing this. And they're entitled to their own opinion. They're entitled to their own viewpoint. But I don't go back and forth with those people because you won't ever be able to change their minds, regardless no, I, of what facts you throw. No, you're absolutely right, my friend. People are just people like that are going to be like that, and and it's every they have every right to do that. I just think it's a miserable way to live, but that's totally up to them. But again, Mark Davis missed the Raiders game too. He got over for the second half, but he was courtside for the tip off of that game. So, but nobody's mentioned that they're mad and that Mark Davis isn't a team player, right? So, uh, you have to you have to uh, bring that to light of why that's okay and the player because the player wasn't playing anyway. Mark Davis doesn't play, but he's the owner. Shouldn't he be there? Oh well, we'll let it go. Okay, so we are at the end of the first segment. Went by quick, and we got a little uh, like I said earlier, a little piss and vinegar there at the end. When Mo and I come back, we're gonna talk about this full house that the Raiders have in the running back room. It is, it is overrunning the brim of the cup uh, with talent and available running backs. And I'm going to add why that's not surprising for Josh McDaniels and uh, that it's expected and that's a pattern of behavior for him. We're going to talk about that. We'll also talk about specifically some of the individual running backs, their roles, why it matters within the system. We've talked about Josh McDaniel's system before. We're going to bring that back up again to frame it so that when we talk about these individual players, you can kind of see what their roles are. So we'll do that. We'll step aside when we come back. That's the discussion. You're listening to Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast, where we talk nothing but, well, I shouldn't say that. We talk Raiders football. We talk a little food. We get on our soapbox. We lecture you sometimes. Yes, we do that like we did in the first segment. If you're still with us and you didn't get mad at us, we thank you for being here. By the way, do us a favor. Subscribe to the show. Whether you're listening on audio, you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating on audio. On YouTube, it's not just enough to hit the subscribe. We need you to do the big favor of hitting the notification bells. That way, anytime a video premieres, anytime we go live after games like we do uh, this coming Saturday after the Dolphin game with Mo, myself, and Murph from Raider Fan Radio, you will get notified. That way you don't have to remember. Your phone will tell you that we're ready to go and talk Raider football with you as well. So we appreciate you doing that. Um, and I bring Mo back in now as uh, through the magic of technology we connect. Okay, Mo, we're going to jump in and talk about this running back room, as I call it, the Vegas full house. Um, if you look at the situation here um, and you look at Josh McDaniel's offense, this is where I want to start with this, and that is it's not overly complex. Uh, what they do and what Bill Belichick made this championship uh, dynasty around was finding a defensive weakness and then just exploiting the holy hell out of it, right? That's how Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels won so many games, won six Super Bowls. It's sort of what they do. As part of that is taking running backs and using them in the passing game in different ways that create mismatches. For example, we'll start, and I want to start talking to you about this, Mo, um, on, on specific players too. For example, in the offense, you'll get a running back uh, on an ISO route where you try to get somebody into man-to-man coverage, create a mismatch, uh, especially players that play in the box. So like on the defensive side of the Raiders, you have a Jonathan Abrams. He doesn't play well in space, right? We saw that over the last couple of years. That's what they do in this running back ISO with the McDaniels offense. When you look at the running back position, you look at this full house of running backs they have, because this is a guy you brought up um, last show that we want to address. Talk about a situation like that where they create these mismatches by using the running backs in the passing game, and then give us an example of one of these young bucks who fits that role. Yeah, so basically you you basically broke it down and explained it. You motion out the running back to, to see if the other team is playing man coverage. If the linebacker follows the running back, that means, yes, it's man coverage. You send them out in a route, and you exploit that if you're a linebacker or even if the safety's in the box and they're weak in coverage, a.k.a. John Abram. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not meaning to pick on him. Not meaning to pick on him. I just not want to give him a good example. Him, but, right, because Raiders fans will be familiar with that. Um, but if the Raiders are going to use a player for that role, and I would expect that – I would kind of expect – Brandon Bolden, Kenyon Drake to share that role if they're both on the roster. Again, if Kenyon Drake is on the roster and he's not traded. I think Zamir White has shown the ability to catch the football out of the backfield. I believe he had less than 20 catches at Georgia, but he caught the ball fairly well in the Hall of Fame game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I wouldn't sleep on him being a pass catcher out of the backfield. Josh Jacobs improved over the years as a pass catcher. I know he wanted 50 catches 
I believe last, last year didn't year. didn't make it, mm-hmm. but he he did improve in that area. So I think the Reds have have their running backs, basically all of them, could be able to catch out of the backfield if they need them to. Um, Raiders fans should be familiar with the way the Patriots use their running backs because I believe uh, the Patriots running backs killed the Raiders defense a couple of years ago oh, when yes. they played them early in the season. Uh, JJ Taylor was even involved and he was like the fourth running back on a roster at the time. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a, a plethora of running backs get touches. And as you said, they're going to be able to catch out of the backfield because that's part of what Josh McDaniels does in his system. Yeah, and and one of the guys you mentioned uh, last week, and and kind of being the James White type, and and in that situation, in that offense, they call it a rub concept, right? Where you have a two receiver set, and then you bring out, uh, as we mentioned with the box defender, uh, and you could you you confuse that defense. They don't know where to go, and suddenly you have that running back um, uh, right there to catch the ball. Talk about what James White was so good at and the player on the Raiders you mentioned as the next James White. Right, and the player I mentioned as the next James James White was Amir Abdullah. He didn't play against the Minnesota Vikings, and that might be a sign that he has to secure a roster spot. We don't know. We'll see what happens against the Dolphins. But he seems to be lined up to be that next James White guy, the pass catcher on third down. Uh, The MMQB's Albert Breer pointed that out. He had a pretty good year. Once the Vikings let him go, he latched on with the Carolina Panthers, had one of his best years as a pass catcher. So maybe he's growing in that role. He came out as a second rounder, didn't quite live up to the expectations as a ball carrier. But in, in today's league, when play with more teams, more offensive coordinators use guys in space, he may have found his niche and that he may be the guy to kind of boot Kenyon Drake out of the picture. And that's why I think Kenyon Drake might be on the trade block. He might not have a secure role because Amir Abdullah seems like the guy that's inching up the depth chart and Josh McDaniels and the coach staff seem very high on him. Yeah, it, it's, and, 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 the, and I think in the preseason, if you don't see one of those young players going exactly like you said, that means that they're actually, okay, we've seen enough or we've seen right. enough. We might pepper him in a little bit, but we're good. We're good. We don't need, we don't want him to get out there and get hurt. Um, and then you look at other sets there too, in that offense and using the running back. Cause I think this is where the question about, how many receivers will they keep versus running backs? When you look at like the running back sets that that Josh McDaniels did in New England uh, and using them, this receiver in the scene in a, in a 21 personnel where you line one up in the slot, you have one in the backfield. Um, it goes to show that you can use those running backs if they're good pass catchers in that receiver role. And, and what I did over the last four years is I've seen and I look back at what they did with the roster in New England, and that seems to be what they've done. That doesn't mean Josh McDaniels is going to do that, but they seem to go a little more running back heavy. And by the way, the last five camps in New England, there was every year a story about how stocked the running back room was with the Patriots. So again, when we were talking about why the Raiders wouldn't go get Roquan Smith and we talked about Dave Ziegler and his and his pattern of behavior, not just what he did in New England, but just the idea of how these guys operate, we got some pushback on that. Well, you don't know. He went out and got Devontae Adams. But again, you're seeing some of this repeat. It's not the Patriot way. It's their way. It's how they've learned how to manage rosters and build winning rosters. Yeah, I just want to go back. You mentioned 21 personnel, one running, uh, two running backs, one tight end. A lot of people were caught off on 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends because of Foster Moreau and Darren Waller yep. together. But yep. the Patriots were one of the top in the league last year, and it's on Sharp Football Stats. Shout out to Warren Sharp, who runs that site. Patriots were one of the top teams in the league to use 21 personnel as two running backs on the field. So 
you're going to get a lot of combinations of different running backs, a mix of running backs in your backfield. And someone asked me on Twitter, I didn't answer the question because again, Scott doesn't want me answering too much on Twitter. <laughs> so I say this for the show. Mm. Uh, someone asked me, uh, do I, do I see Austin Walter possibly being mm. a sleeper and making a roster? And what I would have said to him on Twitter was, I don't see, I'm getting Chris Warren vibes from him. Now there are probably, there were reportedly other reasons why Chris Warren didn't make the roster, mm -hmm. but the Raiders are very stocked at running back right now. I could see it being Josh Jacobs, Amir White. I know previously I said Kenyon Drake and Brandon Bolden, but based on what Albert Breer said, he's very connected. He's been very connected with the Patriots. So it makes sense that he's connected with Josh McDaniels. You got to stick Amir Abdullah in there. And he, again, he could be the third guy and then Brandon Bolden, the fourth guy. And, I don't know what happens to Kenyon Drake, but I don't, I don't see enough room for Austin Walter or a Britton Brown to make it. Those two guys will probably be on the practice squad. Yeah, and I, I think a Britton Brown, you could definitely get onto the practice squad. And with Kenyon Drake, you bring up a good question because, again, in doing that research and watching all that old stuff on the Patriots, the, the hallmark of the McDaniels offensive era, if you will, in New England was the idea that, listen, defenses can scheme for wide receivers, right? But they don't spend a lot of time scheming for running backs in the passing game, which is why somebody like Kenyon Drake does well, too, out of the backfield. So to me, a Kenyon Drake, to your point, you mentioned it two days ago, has trade value because now you're not going to get somebody to take on the entire salary. But the Raiders can save some money if they could send him somewhere and have that team t absorb some of the salary, right? And so I think that's most likely what's going to happen because he has such great value there, uh, and and there's certainly not going to be room for all of them in Las Vegas. But knowing that they value and knowing that the McDaniel system relies heavily on that scheming with running backs in the passing game, uh, the way you laid it out, Mo, I think is the most logical because it's also the most affordable right too because you save cap money there especially if you can find somebody to trade and maybe maybe his old team the dolphins when they go to visit uh rekindle that love affair and maybe he goes back there uh and they're able to swing a deal but either way it's a great problem to have mo and again this is the sort of thing you're going to see with the raiders as long as these two men are there running the team i believe is you will see this every year. Yes, you'll have running backs, but this is why you and I were both saying we didn't see Josh Jacobs back next year because you just kind of, hey, guy does a great thing, go in free agency, get your money somewhere else, but we're just going to reload. Yeah, I know we're going to talk about Tyree Gillespie later on, but if they can get trade compensation for Tyree Gillespie, who barely played as a rookie, I believe he had 13 snaps, they could get something for Kenyon Drake. I believe two spots are good landing spots for him. I think Atlanta, who who where Brian Edwards is, by the way, raised to deal with Atlanta early in the offseason. Uh, they don't have a de facto lead back yet. I know they're they're excited about Algier and they got Cordero, Cordero Patterson, but they don't really have a lead back there. And the Seahawks, Ken Walker underwent a hernia procedure. I know they expect mm -hmm. him to be back in week one, but if he's not, if they're a little sketchy on him, uh, they could be a player for Kenyon Drake. But I, I just think that if you see Kenyon Drake play a lot of snaps against the Dolphins, that's an indication that they're showcasing him. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things about the preseason that I think people sort of miss sometimes is uh, why are you playing that star player or, or mid-level star player, whatever you want to call them, starter. And um, that's exactly why, because you're, you're showcasing them because there's teams out there who need it. Uh, and if you can if you can showcase them, then you do it, and that's exactly what we're going to do there. So so no, it's going to be fascinating. I just love 
the way the Raiders are handling the running back spot. And I think it's going to be an incredible, and it has to be for that offense, a position of strength for them. Okay, so we'll see that. Well, let's jump into the Gillespie. So the trade, um, th- did that surprise you? Uh, not, well, you just said it surprised you that they were able to get what they were to, able to get for him. But was there anything you saw from him that made you think that the Raiders might hold on to him or it just got too crowded back there? I just think that when a new regime comes in, some guys just don't fit. Yeah. And there were some people who were, I wouldn't say freaking out over the trade, but they were wondering why would they trade him because he didn't really get to show anything yet. Why not just play him and see what he's got? And that goes back to my point. It kind of, It's kind of similar with Brian Edwards. People were kind of upset about Brian Edwards getting traded to the Falcons, who we just mentioned. Whenever a new regime comes in, they have a way of doing things, and certain guys just don't fit in what, they, in what they're doing. And I think that's what happened with Tyree Gillespie. I mentioned he barely played last year. I know he suited up for 11 games, but he only had you know, less than 30 snaps altogether between special teams and on defense. Uh, so they felt like, hey, if this guy is not going to be part of our regime, might as well dump him now. They traded him to the Titans for a conditional seventh-round pick in 2024. So not even for the next year, but 2024. <laughs> Yeah. So they basically gave him away for, for a bag of chips, so to speak, as they would say on Twitter. Yep. But um, I think this opens up the possibility, and I, and I ended um, Tuesday's show saying that I think the Raiders are going to acquire or trade for another safety. I know some people saying, well, this makes Roderick Teamer safe, and I don't think that's necessarily true no. because I think, I, I think Patrick Graham still wants that hybrid guy who can play safety and play slot cornerback just in case – Nate Hobbs has to move outside or he's hurt. You want a good backup slot cornerback. And I think that's what the Rays are going to go after uh, around final cuts. Absolutely. You mentioned that on Tuesday and, and certainly the trade there to me, that was the indication was, okay, so they're going to, they're going to make some moves there. And I agree on Teamer. It just Teamer hasn't shown anything to me uh, that, that would build confidence. I believe in him being that guy. And to your point about Graham's uh, past and what he likes and getting that hybrid position, uh, I think they're going to look for that. If they can find it on the waiver wire or find it via trade, they may be able to uh, be find it and do it. So we'll see. All right, we're going to take uh, our final break here uh, at the end of segment two. Great discussion there on that stocked running back room in Las Vegas. When we come back, we're going to get to our um, this and that segment. We're going to talk a little bit about where the Raiders rank on the list of the NFL all-time great teams. Yes, there's a ranking out about that. We're going to talk about that, and then we will get also into some fantasy football. We couldn't get Kelly on the show this time. He'll be back next week, but we want to talk a little bit about Mo's going to break down for us. Hey, was there anybody in these early cuts? I got hurt by it. I lost a player. We'll talk about that, but again, my bench wasn't very good, so it's not surprising, Uh, but we'll get to that as well after this break and talk a little bit of fantasy football. Reminder, we are doing our mailbag shows, which we did Uh, yesterday. uh, Huge hit. People love it. We're getting great feedback. Make sure you mail a question, any question, comment you have from ORI to mail at silverandblacktoday.com. Do that. You get a free show sticker and you're in the running. Each show we pick a winner with the best question uh, to get a free show t-shirt. So go ahead and do that for us. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening or watching us. You're listening to Silver and Black Today here on the Odyssey Podcast Network. 
What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Home stretch here on Silver and Black today in Odyssey Original Podcast. Thanks for being with myself, Scott Branson, and my co-host, Mo Moten. As we talk everything Las Vegas Raiders football, we do it all the time. We do it for you because we are giving people, right, Mo? We, wanna, we just want to give back to the community. We want to give back to Raider Nation. Yeah, we're not on the same level as Josh coming out and Raider Dad. Shout out to him again. Yes. But we, we do what we can to give back to the community. Get the, get the community and the fans through these weeks of the offseason before the regular season. Just sit down and have fun with us, have a conversation. Okay, so Mo, there's a there's a, uh, an odds comparison site called Sidelines. So sidelines.co are one of those things. You can look it up. Uh, they don't pay us, so I'm not getting them. I don't care. Uh, but no, anyway, they, they sent us a survey um, that um, they gave 70,000 people. So here was the question. The question is, which NFL team is the best? Now, this is the greatest NFL teams of all time. And I don't mean like the NFL did on its anniversary where it was like, okay, the 1972 Dolphins or the 1983 Raiders. It, it, it wasn't like that. It's in general, I think if I would have phrased the survey, it would have been franch- best greatest franchises of all time. Okay? so Because that's what they're really getting at. It's just a generic survey of, hey, what, is, what do you believe is the best NFL team ever? Uh, and they would list all the, they listed all 32 teams. So... Um, if you had to rank the Raiders, where would you put them, Mo? Any idea? Is it top 10? I'm not just saying this because if I'm not just saying this because I'm on a Raiders show, but I would say top 10 because the Raiders okay. have a rich history. Yes. I don't have done a lot of winning recently, but if you look at the history and the, the number of Hall of Famers that they have, yeah. uh, they still have, you know, one of the most championships across the league. Raiders should be top 10. There you go. So, so I think most fans would agree with you. I think also the the recognition of the brand and the 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 kind of aura that goes around the brand, which I know comes from winning football, but it also comes from the culture of all the folks out there, the fans, Raider Nation, right? They've created a culture around this football team that t- that came from it, of course, uh, of the glory days of the '70s and into the '80s and the '60s. I have to add that too, but but nonetheless, that's where it came from. So. I want to give these rankings because I, I want to get your comments on it and, and, and get the folks out there to also tweet at us or send us. You can send us the email, mail at silverandblacktoday.com. We'll have it on our mailbag show uh, on this subject to any subject we talk about. So the number one team, the greatest teams of all time, is voted on by 70,000 people, which is a big, a big sample size, by the way, because you could usually these are like five to 700 people. So 70,000 is a lot. Who would you say, Mo? Guess, guess who is ranked number one? Think of recency bias. If I bias. had to guess, I, <laughs> if I had to, if recency bias, it would be the Patriots because they just did nothing but winning with Tom Brady. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if, but it, but if it wasn't just based on winning, I would say the 49ers and the Steelers are probably up there because they also have rich traditions. See, Mo knows his football, but yes, the Patriots were voted number one. Uh, and if you remember, the Patriots six Super Bowl championships. They've been to eleven Super Bowls. I forgot it was eleven. Mm-hmm. I even forgot that. I don't know why I forgot that number. Number two is the Steelers, as you mentioned, 
Five Super, six, excuse me, six Super Bowl wins. They've appeared in eight Super Bowls. Number three, the Green Bay Packers. Green tradition, Bay Packers. Four, exactly. Four Super Bowl wins. They've been to uh, nine F- NFC championships, but really it's three in the Super Bowl era. So they actually haven't right. had a ton uh, of, of, of those. Actually, it's four in the Super Bowl era. Um, and then number four is the 49ers. Five Super Bowl wins, seven Super Bowl appearances, okay? Then we get to number five, Raiders' favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys. Five Super Bowl wins, eight NFC Championships slash Super Bowl appearances. Number six, the New York Giants. Four Super Bowl wins, five NFC Championships. Okay, so one through six, I can agree with. Okay, yeah, I, I got no problem one through six based on the number of Super Bowls they've appeared in, the number of Super Bowls they've won, the power of the fanhood and the ba- the brand, right? No question. Number seven, are you ready, Mo? I don't want you to fall out of your seat. The Seattle Seahawks. Recency bias. It has to be, right? Yeah, and I guess a little bit of that is the Legion of Boom, but it was kind of short-lived. Very short-lived. And remember, one Super Bowl championship and they've appeared in three, okay? All in that same era, right? So it was a, right. to your point, it was a very condensed short period, but, but clearly it's, it's fresh in people's mind. Number eight, we haven't gotten to the Raiders yet. Number eight, to me, is one of the worst, but it's because one of the best guys to ever play in the NFL from a personality and a position standpoint played on this team, and he's kind of beloved. And that is the Saints, the Aints, remember the Aints, how bad they were forever? Wow, They're yeah. ranked number eight, only one Super Bowl championship and only one NFC championship. They've only been there once. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's shocking. That, it's, it's shocking and it's ridiculous at the same time. I don't know what this is, you know, but, you know, when you put things to vote, as we found out in this country, you just never know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then when you get to number nine, this is, I, 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 I'm, I'm debating whether I just skip nine. Because Raider fans are going to lose their collective caca. If you're, if you're on the West Coast, you know what that means. Crap. Jeez. No. The Broncos. <laughs> the Broncos. Broncos at number nine. Three Super Bowl championships. Just as many as the Raiders. I hate to remind you people of that. Uh, and they have won six AFC championships. Okay? Number 10. Did the Raiders make the top 10? The answer is e no. They did not. Number 10, Ouch. Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, go. recency bias again. Patrick Mahomes. It's got to be the whole thing. Two Super Bowl championships, two AFC championships. you get got to give them that. Every time they win an AFC championship, they win a Super Bowl, even though one was before I was born. Um, and I'm old. So that's number 10. Now, here's the other one. Those Those... The Saints, the Seahawks, the Chiefs, the Broncos, hey, they have three Super Bowls. They've been there six times. I get it. The Chiefs, no, don't understand that one. This one, Mo, this one will drive you crazy as a New Yorker as well. Number 11, still no Raiders. The Eagles. The Eagles. One Super Bowl championship, three NFC championships. I mean, you know what? You know what? They, I'm not, I'm not condoning with, I don't, I'm not on board with that, but <laughs> you're being careful. I kind of, I, I kind of get why they're up there because 
that was considered when they beat the Patriots, that was considered one of the biggest Super Bowl upsets of all time. Because remember, Carson Wentz got hurt. He went down with the ACL injury that year. Back and Nick Foles, Nick Foles led the Eagles to a Super Bowl title <laughs> against the Patriots, who who were were a dynasty at the time, built a statue of the guy outside. Yeah, absolutely. So so I kind of understand why they're up there. I get it. Yeah. In a sense. And at number 12, the Las Vegas Raiders. Three Super Bowl champions, of course, four AFC championships. Um, followed then, I'll just do uh, round out the top 15. After the Raiders, the Bears, Vikings, and Dolphins and Rams were tied. Again, the Rams, to me, aren't even in the top 20, but they won the Super Bowl last year. Right. So and they were they were another Super Bowl too. They didn't and they won the Super Bowl with Vermeil. Absolutely, right? So you, they have two. So you got to give them that. It's more than the Eagles, but to your point about the Eagles. And again, it's so much of this is recency bias, which to me, if I'm a Raider fan, I'm going to look at the positive here. You haven't really won in 30 years. But yet you're you're near the top 10 when people are surveyed about the greatest teams of all time. So that's pretty dang good. Now, if the Raiders start winning, to me, you're going to see them roll up this list because everybody loves the Raiders and the mystique and the image. And when they're winning as everybody, even people who hate the Raiders will tell you it's good for the NFL. Right. The, the yeah. two things, there are two things I think that hurt the Raiders in this ranking. Hmm. One, of course we mentioned it and fans are going to want to plug their ears, but they haven't won enough <laughs> right. in the last 20, 30 years. So we, we understand that. I, I think, and maybe this, I don't know if this was in the criteria, but the fact that they moved, I wonder if that factored into it because a lot of the teams that you mentioned at the top of that list, there's stability there with mm. where they play. It's a good point. A lot of the teams, very, very stable franchises where you know where they're playing, you know what city they're playing in. The Raiders yeah. had a, a long, drawn-out situation where, where are they going to go? Are they going to go to San Antonio? Are they going to go back to Los Angeles? Where are they going to play? Where are they going to end up? That That went on for a while. It so, did. While they yeah. didn't have the greatest season, so I mean, maybe that factors into it too. Well, and I also think too they had they had such instability at the quarterback position until Derek Carr came uh, as well. Yeah. And let's face it, in the NFL, it's all about the quarterback. And so when you have a face to the front, not that they didn't have great defensive linemen and offensive linemen, and of course Charles Woodson, the best ever, the goat, all that stuff was great. They had Gannon for that little bit, and they got to the Super Bowl, right? But to me, in the NFL, you have a long, sustained quarterback who is the face of your franchise. That helps you, too. Yeah, just the lack of stability, the lack of winning, no playoff wins in how many years now? Two decades. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, all the things that you, you care about with a football team, the quarterback, the winning, uh, the culture, where they're playing, the stability. Raiders haven't really had that a lot. Uh, but the, the good news is they're they're on the right pathway. And as you said, yep. being 12th on this list, despite all of that, is a good sign that if, let's say, they do make the playoffs this year, win a few games, even make it to the Super Bowl, I think they move up that list. Because as you said, a lot of people say when the Raiders are good, football's fun again. Right. And I think, too, the Raiders' growth overseas, they played in London all those times, which I know the fans hated and I know the team wasn't a big fan of. They've grown that influence. And now I think... With all due respect to the people in Oakland, the move helps them. It's Las Vegas. Everybody knows Las Vegas. So there's an excitement around the fact that they're there as well, to your point earlier, and I think that'll help them as well. All right, Mo, we're going to switch gears a little uh, for, the, for the remainder of the show and talk a little bit about fantasy football. So we saw the first five players on each roster, the, the roster going down, 
uh, by five. And, and how does that impact fantasy football? We saw it a little bit. I, I was mistaken that one of my players already got cut. It wasn't true, and Mo corrected me during the break. Thank you, Mo. Uh, but if you look at what happened this week, Mo, uh, with cuts in the NFL, I know it wasn't massive for uh, fantasy players overall because there wasn't massive names, but there was some pretty good players. Um, talk about that impact and what people need to do if they're looking at their rosters except for anybody in our league because they're going to all lose to me. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, what I will say is that uh, any the cuts that happened on Tuesday really shouldn't have impacted your roster too much unless you were taking long shots at, at guys that you know could be fringe back-end players in PPR leagues, maybe a running back that could be an RB3 that you maybe think could get right. some catches. But other than that, should, you should have been encouraged by a lot of the performances. One guy I wanted to point out, Damian Pierce. Looks like he's the emerging back with the Houston Texans. It looks like he could really start the season as RB1 there. So if you got Damian Pierce on the back end of your roster, kudos to you because he's on the right pathway. I mentioned Kenneth Walker undergoing a hernia procedure early in the, in the other segment. Uh, looks like he's going to have a decent workload because Rashad Penny hasn't been able to stay healthy. So if, if long as the Seahawks are confident that he could play week one, if you have Ken Walker on your roster, kudos to you because it looks like he's going to have a big role. But I, what I will say is that stay away from the running back star in the preseason mm -hmm. because we I mentioned Chris Warren early in the show. Chris Warren led the league in rushing yards when the Raiders had him. He was the preseason star, and he didn't even wind up on the roster. They stashed him, had, a, had an injury, may or may not have had an injury, didn't play. <laughs> now he's out like of the Darren league. Waller? <laughs> may have had an injury but yeah. it's like be careful about running backs who show up in a preseason and run for a whole bunch of yards because a lot of times they're getting a lot of touches because they are back in roster guys and they're yeah. not going to necessarily have a big role during the regular season you know i got a note from somebody uh and he was he was somebody who wanted to get in our silver and black today listener league uh which we'll we'll talk about next week but um, but got in too late, so he couldn't make it. But um, he messaged me the other day, and he said, "Hey, he's like, did you see this report about? Um, I forgot it was uh, the receiver from um, from Tennessee." And um, he's like, "Did you see this? It says he's doing terrible. He might not even start. They're not committed to him." There's a danger in that too, Mo, because if you watch the playing time in the preseason, to your point, I think you get a better indication. But you see these reports because. God bless everybody in the fantasy football industry. It's awesome. It's great. We all love it. And you do it too. Mm -hmm. But you have to write about stuff. And hey, if that week there's some negativity around a player because whatever, um, be careful if you have a player not to let them go and drop them just based on you see a Yahoo story or an ESPN story about that. Isn't that true? Don't you kind of have to stick till you get to final cuts and, and then take some definitive reports, especially from the guys who cover the beat? Yeah, and I think you're talking about Traylon Burks, Tennessee Titans Burks, wide receiver, yes. maybe. Yes, because yes, he had a he had a he had an issue with asthma during early in the offseason during OTAs, mm -hmm. and I and I read those same reports that there that you know there are some issues where they, he may not start, he may be behind Robert Woods and Westbrook out there. Um, I wouldn't let him go simply because they drafted him in the first round, so that they obviously expect him to contribute right away. Right. You don't drop a first round wide receiver after a couple of or a few bad reports you hang on to that guy because obviously the team the team drafted him high for the reason so for the people out there who picked up a wide receiver in the first two to three rounds 
hang on to that guy because he even if he has a rough outing during OTAs or mandatory mini camp or early training camp or even the first one or two preseason games, he may catch on during a regular season or at some point in a regular season. So hold on to that yeah. ticket. Uh, I wouldn't let go of a guy unless he gets hurt. A guy that says unless he gets hurt or he's clearly wide receiver four or five and just had a terrible offseason from start to finish. Then yeah, if you got a hot guy, that's that's not a hot guy, but a hot free agent on the, on the on the market that mm-hmm. you want, on the back of your roster, pick that guy up. But otherwise, hold on to your first and second round rookie wide receivers. Good advice. There you go from Mostradamus himself. He's going to lose in our league, but at least he's going to give you good. <laughs> Scott's very just, confident today. I, I'm just no, it's not confident. I'm 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 the. Uh, I'm the new you, you're the Vince Lombardi, so so I'll be the Bill Belichick of fantasy football. Yeah, <laughs> the new well, age. Yeah, well. well. <laughs> anyway, on to um, week one. Yeah, that's right. On to week one where we play each other. We have a couple weeks yeah. to let that rumorate until we start talking trash about it. So it'll be fun. Uh, but that brings us to the conclusion of this Thursday edition. Mo, this Thursday edition was so fun, so good. I think we should just do another extra little show tomorrow and make it four days in a row. What do you think? Yeah, we love the fans so much. We're just gonna throw an extra show at you because that's that's how we feel. We we really love you guys tuning in, and we appreciate you. And that's and that's our gift from us to you. It's a gift, absolutely. That's right. The gift of Raiders content directly from Mo, directly from Scott, directly from Silver and Black today, and Odyssey. So you're welcome. Uh, but tomorrow, Mo, we're gonna get together and we're gonna. Be focused. We're going to focus on, yes, it's a preseason game, so we're not as worried about who's going to win and all that kind of stuff. What we're worried about and what we want to focus on, we're going to give you three Raiders players to watch for various reasons in this game in Miami uh, on Saturday. So that's going to drop tomorrow morning on Friday. So just if you've already subscribed, you get it anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. If you haven't subscribed, do so. And it'll be delivered so you can, on that Friday, the Friday commute is the best because you know the weekend's almost here. So definitely want to do it, and we'll have a fun time with that show. Uh, so we'll, we'll drop that on uh, tomorrow morning. So make sure you're there, and we'll give you what you need to watch from our point of view with these Raiders players as they get ready for the next round of cuts next week uh, and roll towards the regular season. All right, Mo, I will talk to you tomorrow. Uh, and I will be less crabby, I promise. Yeah, and shout out to the Las Vegas Aces. Be like Daryl. Support the team. They're the number one seed out there. Doing great things, Las Vegas. We <laughs> we want Las Vegas to be a sports city. So support the Aces. Go there to the games. Go. Watch. Mo, Mo says. Mo, M-O-E says. S-E-Z. Mo says. New segment. Mo says. Okay. No, there you go. Uh, but there you go. Um, also, I want to close out the show. Um, I know it'll sound like a bummer, but uh, I want to remember uh, my good friend, Caesar Wright, a childhood friend of mine who passed away on Tuesday night after a battle with rare form of cancer. Uh, we were there as kids together, grew up together, went to school together. Uh, he was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so you have to forgive him for that. Uh, but uh, I wish him the best on the other side, and I will see him, I'm sure, one day there but want to give my best to his wife and his daughter and to the rest of his family's brother and sister as well who um, who survive him. So, Cs, it was good to know you, man, and I appreciate you. I dedicate the show to you. All right, we're going to step aside for this Thursday, and we will be back tomorrow. Don't forget, subscribe so you get tomorrow's show. For Mo Moten, I am Scott Colbranson. This has been Silver and Black Today, a Odyssey original podcast. Take care, everybody. <laughs>